Now, if you have a Bible, I would invite you, as we begin this series, to turn to Genesis chapter 12, and it's my way to kick off this Christmas series that Rob has entitled Miraculous Births, and today is the birth of Isaac, one of the three patriarchs of Israel. Most of you know that Isaac was the son of promise, and his birth was really the highlight of the great, exciting, and faithful life of Abraham and Sarah. When you think of the birth of Isaac, there's one word you've got to be thinking about, and it's the word laughter, because laughter really surrounds uh, the, the birth of Isaac. Now, you and I know there are a lot of different kinds of laughs. Some of us really like the belly laugh. I mean, that's the laugh that just comes deep within and just comes out, and it's kind of like the person can't contain themselves. There's also a scornful laugh. There's a laugh of derision. There's a laugh of ridicule. There's a laugh of nervousness. All kinds of laughs. And we're going to see three kinds of those laughs this morning uh, surrounding Isaac. Now, I've learned something new in my study and preparation about laughing. And they actually say, medically speaking, there are 15 benefits to laughing. Now, one of those intrigued me. And it was that if you laugh for 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes of laughing a day, you will lose weight. <laughs> now, when I read that, I started laughing and I never stopped <laughs> until I got on the scale this morning and I said, that's a bunch of hooey. I don't believe it for, uh, for a minute. So this morning, three different kinds of laughs surrounding the birth of Isaac. And in order to really understand the significance of this miraculous birth, uh, we've got to go in the historical context. And I've cut as much out of it as I can, but I need to take about three to four minutes just uh, to walk you through, through that graph that you're looking uh, up on this screen at this, uh, at this time. Here's a timeline that helps us begin in Genesis 12. That's where we begin on the left of the screen, Genesis 12. I want to remind you that Abraham is 75 years old. He's living up. He's a very successful, wealthy businessman. He's living up in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which would be the present country of Iraq. And God sovereignly puts his hand. He says, get out of your home, and then we just pick it up here in, in Genesis 12, and you can follow along uh, if you have a Bible or see it on the screen. So in Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. Now, I've circled that in my Bible, the word nation. I will make it. A, this is the Abrahamic covenant. This is the promise, the guarantee of what God is going to do. If I can get a little more technical, it's called an unconditional covenant. What's an unconditional covenant? There's no condition to it. God says, I'm going to do it, and it will be my work, and this is what I'm going to do. Now, the Abrahamic covenant has three parts to it that you should know about. First one is, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make, number two, I've circled, your name great, and then jumping down, in you, I circle, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
So Abraham went. Abraham was 75, and thus we have the establishment of the Abrahamic covenant. And when you look at it, you think of three thoughts. Number one, he says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. No question of who that, that nation is. It's the nation of Israel. And then he says, number two, I'm going to make your name great. Now think about that for a minute. Think today of the three major religions of the world. Christianity, Judaism, Islam. Each one of those religions goes back to Abraham and recognizes him as our father of faith. He stands as the example. But then the best promise comes out. You always say for last. It's the third. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Now, what does that speak to? Well, we're going to get to that later on, but basically just in summarization of it, it's the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ comes from the seed of Abraham through the line of David, and he's going to be a blessing so that the entire world is going to be blessed through this Abrahamic covenant that God has given into Abraham. Now, if we go back, and if you have that timeline in, in your mind, we come now to Genesis chapter 16. Started Genesis 12. The second key event is in Genesis 16. Now, in between Genesis 12 and 16, uh, several things happen. And twice in, in chapter 13 and 15, uh, God reaffirms his covenant to Abraham, saying the same thing, basically, that he said in Genesis 12. Except here he adds in, in uh, chapter 13, verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. So that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. And can you imagine how much dust there is in the world? He said, now if you can count that dust, that's what your offspring is going to be. Now keep in mind, it started with Abraham at the age of 75 and his wife, 65. And they're going to have a baby. So you see the miraculous thing that's taking place here. God's going to do the impossible. Now, when you come to Genesis 15, we don't know exactly how much time has gone from Genesis 12. No, he went down to Egypt for a time. Chapter 13, you got Lot, etc. Chapter 14. But now we come to chapter 15. There's probably been at least two years or so. So they're waiting for the promise. They're waiting for the child to be born. But then Abraham has a lapse of faith. And so there was a custom in the culture at that time that if you were, had been going through infertility and you could not bear a, a male to carry on the child's name, then you would take your head lead servant. In this case, Abraham and Sarah had one main servant by the name of Eleazar. So Abraham's thinking, he's looking around, he sees the culture around him, and he's thinking, you know, when God gave me that promise a few years ago, no, we're getting older, we're beyond childbearing age, he must have thought of that we will adjust to the culture of the day. So God comes to Abraham, he reconfirms his covenant. Here's what he says in verse 4 of Genesis 15. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man, that is Eleazar, this man shall not be your heir, your very own son, born of you and Sarah, your very own son shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside, and I look and number all the stars, billions of stars in the galaxy. He says, number the dust, that's your offspring. Number all the stars if you can, billions of them. He says, that's going to be your offspring. And then we come to one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament. Verse 6, and Abraham believed God, and it was 
I think the ESV says it was accounted to him for righteousness. If you have an old King James, I like that better because it's my favorite theological world. It was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, this is what we call the split second when Abraham was born again. He believed God, and then God imputed his righteousness to him. And then that is brought out in a much fuller way uh, in the New Testament. In fact, did you know that this verse here, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness, it is quoted three times in the New Testament. In fact, in the first book of Romans, uh, where it's quoted, uh, Paul is, is arguing it's the greatest theological book in the Bible. And he's approaching sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. And he's going right through it all. He's talking about condemnation, justification, sanctification, dispensation, glorification. And he's going from one to the other. And in the middle of this section on justification, 321 to 521, how can a sinful man be righteous in the sight of God? He gives the answer by quoting Genesis 15:6. Abraham, he uses Abraham as the example of how a man is justified. Crucial because it's 500 years before the law of Moses was ever given so he didn't need the law to be justified and then he adds another person who was justified by faith in the Old Testament that Israel loved not Abraham only but also who their favorite King David and he mentions the very verses when King David had committed his horrible sins but he was still justified why because you're not justified by your works you're not justified by ritual regulation Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness so then, the Apostle Paul could say, being justified by faith, Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith and belief are the same thing. Abraham believed God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. What's he doing? He's doing what he did back 4,000 years ago with Abraham, what Paul reiterated 2,000 years later, what is still being preached today if you're a faithful preacher, teacher of the Word of God, and that is what is impossible with man, like the birth of Isaac. What is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man, that a man can achieve his own righteousness and be accepted by God, that's impossible. No one can do it. Is possible with God through the provision of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered for our sins on the cross. Okay, now we leave Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, he's born again. And now we're moving to Genesis 6. So a few years go by between Genesis 15 and Genesis 16. Now, a few years earlier, they thought about this, and he says, let me see, I'm going to have a child. He looks at Sarah, sees this very elderly lady, past childbearing age, so he must mean Eliezer, my servant. God says, no, it's not going to be your servant. You're going to have the baby. Now a few years goes by, and now Sarah has a lapse. So she comes to her husband, she says, uh, "Hun, remember when we went down to Egypt, Genesis 12? Remember when we went down to Egypt because there was a family, yeah? And uh, we brought back Hagar with us, remember? Beautiful Egyptian gal. We brought her back and she became uh, our handmaid. So the second custom of the day was this. If, as a Jewish man, if you didn't have an heir as your son, because you couldn't, your wife couldn't conceive and bear a son, then you could take the servant of the household and she now becomes the means by which you pass on uh, the, the heir. 
And so Sarah goes uh, to Abraham and says, uh, you need to uh, take Hagar and uh, have a child by her because that's going to be the fulfillment uh, of the promise here. And so what are Abraham and Sarah doing? Remember, we looked at them as a father and mother of faith, but as humans, they also had lapses just like you have had and just like I have had as well. And so they go and they decide, and sure enough, they're going to get God out of that ridiculous situation he painted himself to, to and getting him in a corner. So they're going to help God get out of that ridiculous statement, okay? And they're going to solve the problem, humanly speaking. Hagar becomes the second way. So we read in Genesis 16, 16. Abram was 86 years old. So we've advanced 11 years from Genesis 12. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Now, that was simply trying to do God's work. And of course, we know the result of it. That wasn't God's plan. So now we move to Genesis 17. We're getting right along here. And now we're going 13 more years. So we've already gone the 12 years. Abraham on up uh, to, uh, to Hagar, 10 years. Now we're going another 15, 25 years since the promise was given in Abraham's 12. And uh, now it's just about going to be the time. And when we get to Genesis 17, now Abraham is no longer 75. He's no longer 86 like with Hagar. Now he's 99 years old and his wife is 89 years old. Which means that they have the baby and they conceive and they have a baby. By the time that baby's born, nine months later, he's going to be 100 years old and she's going to be 90 years old. And so they're still without an heir, 25 years. As Ben prayed today, and it was so powerful, I thought. He caught the whole idea how God sometimes, his timing isn't our timing. His delays are having purposes to it. He doesn't always come through on our timetable. But we've got to wait on God. We've got to, and some God, God says, we're not ready for this yet. And so now God, in, in chapter 17 of Genesis, he's reaffirming his covenant with Abraham yet again. This time he appears as who? My favorite name for God in the Old Testament. He appears to him as El Shaddai. Some of you folks who are a little bit older, you remember Amy Grant. El Shaddai, El Shaddai. Age to age, he's still the same by the power of his name. It's a beautiful, beautiful song. And when you think of El Shaddai, most translators translate it with the idea of the Lord God Almighty. And so it would emphasize, all the names of God emphasize something about him. Jehovah Rapha, Yields, Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord of Righteousness, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. And it goes on and on. But this name, El Shaddai, means the Lord and it, God Almighty. And it emphasizes his absolute omnipotence, his power to do anything that that he wants to do so now god reinstitutes that reaffirms that covenant with him and we see three laughs now beginning in chapter 17 we see the first laugh in chapter 17 surrounding isaac's birth the second laugh then we see in genesis 18 and then the third and final laugh is in genesis 21 with the birth of isaac now let's look first at the laugh of wonder as i call it in genesis 17 17 so the promise of the Abrahamic covenant made 25 years ago shall be fulfilled through the natural union of husband and wife, Abraham and Sarah. But it's a miraculous birth, thus in our series, Miraculous Births. Why? Because Abraham is almost 100 and Sarah is almost 90, past childbearing age. He said, oh, wait a minute, wasn't Abraham back past childbearing age? No, he was like Senator Strom Thurmond. Some of you remember that we won't go there. Uh, that's a long time ago. But anyway, uh, 
uh, remember, Abraham, after, after Sarah died, Abraham married a woman by the name of Keturah. And they had six children together. So Abraham, the old boy's got something going for him. Uh, so anyway, he has six more, uh, six more children. By the way, an interesting thing I saw this uh, last few weeks in my study was that there's a lot of Jewish rabbis and well-known theologians in the Jewish community. They believe Keturah is the name change from Hagar to Keturah. And so uh, there's a lot of support for that, but obviously I don't have time to mention that. So whether it's, it doesn't matter whether it's true or not, but it was a very interesting study, and I tend to concur with that, but that doesn't matter either. But here they are in chapter 17. Now, picking it up in verse 1, let's move quickly. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, I am Lord, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Jump to verse 15. God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah, the mother of many. Now just think, if they haven't had a child, they're waiting 25 years. Don't you think God's thinking? Uh, Abraham's thinking, well, it's about time, you know. Uh, that if we're finally going to have children, and Sarah's going to be your name. I'll bless her, moreover, I'll give you a son by her. I will bless her. She shall become nations, kings, and people shall come from her. Now notice Abraham's response, verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face. Now notice what he did. He fell on his face and he laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child. Now, some people, most people, I might even add, commentaries, call this not a laugh of wonder, as I'm calling it, but they're calling it a laugh of unbelief or disbelief. I disagree with that strongly, 100%. I know that's not true, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But notice what he did before he laughed. Did you catch the words of what he did? It says that he fell on his face and then laughed. Now, if you're arrogant, or as one man told me 45 years ago, very successful businessman, he says, well, pastor, he says, I'm a self-made man. I said, well, that relieves God of a very embarrassing responsibility, doesn't it? <laughs> Wasn't the wisest thing to say, but it just came out. <laughs> but when you're arrogant and proud, you kind of stand uprightly. You're in control. What does it mean when you fall on your face? You know what it means. I mean, that's your prostate on the ground, and it is a sign of great humility. It's a, great, it's a sign of great submission. You've done that. Sometimes when God answers a prayer and it's finally answered, just out of amazement, or if there's a burden you're praying for day after day, and we're all there, and you've got such a heartache, such a heavy burden, sometimes you don't just want to kneel, you want to fall flat on your face on the ground. And all that is is an outward expression of an inward dependence upon God, and I think that was the laugh of wonder. I think that's what, what Abraham laughed about. How do I know that? Let me, know, let me say this, that, 
that Abraham shows us, and I catch this, that real faith, and he's a man of faith, real faith in God does not rule out those times when his awesome promises he may assure to your heart are hard for us to receive. And despite Abraham's trepidation, the Lord's will for his family is most certainly guaranteed. God's word may seem incredible, but it's, it's, a, it's a laugh of wonder. You know who else I think had that laugh of wonder? It wasn't a laugh of disbelief. A young teenage virgin, never been with a man, and God's been silent for 400 years. He has not said one word to the entire human race. The 400 silent years, we call them. And then this old city of Nazareth, Gabriel appears as the spokesperson for God, and he says, fear not, Mary. You're going to be the mother of the Messiah. What did she say? Remember, she said she didn't deny that it could happen. She knew God could do anything. She was a woman of great faith. She says, how can this be, seeing that I am a virgin? Virgins don't have babies. It's impossible. And in that same context comes those words, for what is impossible with men is possible with God. And then her faith is even demonstrated further when she says, be it unto me as your handmaid, as the Lord so wills. And so it was a, a time of wonder for Mary. She just couldn't get it together how a virgin can have a baby. And you can understand why Abraham and Sarah, 99 and 89, would have the same, how can old people like it? How can an old woman conceive when she's past childbearing age? And so they just needed to be uh, instructed on how this was going to come about. And of course, it comes about because of, of God's faithfulness. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul, how he reinforces this. I've said it's a laugh of wonder, not a laugh of disbelief. And here's why. Romans 4, 18, beginning there. He says, In hope he, that is Abraham, believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, they had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered it. Now that's pretty plain to me. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, and instead of wavering, he grew stronger in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced God was able to do what he promised. That's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, now catch this, hold on to this, those of you who are waiting for God to do the impossible. That heavy burden on your heart, you can't make it happen, it's not happening, but you're waiting, 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 waiting. Notice what he says. But the words it was countered to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. And it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What's impossible with Abraham and Sarah? Sarah's going to have a baby. She's past childbearing. What's impossible for the rest of us who read this today? Is that what's impossible with man is possible with God. What's impossible with man? That a man can get righteous and in good standing before God on his own merits. By his own ritual, his own regulations, his own works. And that somehow he can pull up by the bootstrings and, and he can get... And God is saying, and Paul is saying, uh, as a spokesman for God, no, man is lost, he cannot do it. 
But what is impossible with man is possible with God through the provision of His Son on the cross for our sins. So He did not, notice verse 19, He did not weaken in faith. And here's what I love it. When He considered His own body. That word considered kind of jumped out at me as I was studying. So I did a word study on it. You know what I find out? It's the same word that Jesus used in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. When he was talking to the disciples and they were wondering who's going who's to provide for us, who's going to take care of us. Some of you wonder that same thing, especially some of us getting older. Who's going to care for us? Who's going to, you know, what's going to happen? What's, what, what do the last years bring? And th- then Jesus says, hey, uh, little uh, disciples, he says, look out, look out there at the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor they spin. Doesn't God take pretty good care of the lilies of the field? And he said, if that's not enough, he's look out there. Look at those birds up there in the tree. Now he says, if God's watching out for the bird, don't you think he's going to watch out for you too? But here it's kind of like the opposite. Because Abraham did not consider his own body. Or especially when he looked over and he saw Sarah. And he saw those wrinkles, that gray hair, that old woman, and she's going to conceive? He didn't even consider that. Why? Because God told him what he was going to do, and nothing is impossible with God. Abraham grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, verses 20 and 21. Let me just encourage you that God delights in doing the impossible because that's when he gets the glory. If you make it happen, and a lot of us as men, we say, well, we're going to make it happen. And we get in the way. We try to do the Hagar thing. We do the Eleazar thing. God says, no, that's not my way. You do it my way and then humble yourself, prostrate, and get on the floor and just put your face uh, right on down in humility and watch what God can do and claim his promises when he gives them to you by faith and don't give up. Now we're going to move on to Genesis 18. And here we see the second laugh. It's what I call the laugh of wariness. The laugh of wariness. We don't know how much time comes between Genesis 17 visit and chapter 18. Um, But it can't be much more than a few weeks, maybe a month, two at the very most. So it's still a short time from Genesis 17 to 18. And uh, when we come here, we see the second uh, laugh. And now in Genesis 18, three men uh, are visiting Abraham. You know who one of them is? The pre-incarnate Son of God. Now, if you have, and most of you probably don't, but we used to use 60 years ago, they say the most accurate translation, in fact, sometimes they called it a wooden translation because it was right from the original language right to the English, and it didn't flow real nice and easy, say, like in ESV or NIV. But it's the ASV American Standard Version or a new American Standard Version. Every time in the Old Testament, catch this, every time in the Old Testament, and you've got to use one of those versions, it won't be true in the King James, Old King James, or New. And you see the term, the angel of the Lord. Definite article. The angel of the Lord. That is always the pre-incarnate Christ. That's the Son of God coming before Bethlehem in different forms, like the angel of the Lord. Now, in this case, there are the three angels there, and one of them is God Almighty. And the only one that appears in human form of the Trinity is the second person of the Godhead. 
You say, well, how do you know that this is the Lord? Look at verse 1 of chapter 18. And the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord Jehovah appeared to him. Verse 10, the Lord said, verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham. So this is the Lord Jesus in pre-incarnate form. Now, Abraham's already seen him twice before in Genesis 12 and 15. But now this is, a, and he knew that one of these visitors was none other than deity visiting him because he had seen that in Genesis 12, 17 and 17, 1. So he calls for Sarah, he calls for his servant, he says, hey, we got some very important guests here today. Let's put on a big meal for him, a lavish meal. And so uh, he had them to get uh, they get a nice uh, meal ready. And so they're fixing dinner and the servants are working hard. In verse 9, uh, one of them asked, they said, uh, Abraham, where's Sarah, your wife? And uh, he answered, she's in the tent. And then in verse 10, the promise to Abraham was clearly commuted, communicated at the age of 100. Abraham, Sarah at 90, they would have the son of promise. They're going to have a baby. Now it just so happens that Sarah's doing something that some of us like to do from time to time, though we won't admit it. She was eavesdropping. She was inside the tent, but she could hear what they were saying. And so all of a sudden she's hearing, Sarah's going to get pregnant. And notice what happens as a result of that. Verse 12. In verse 12 it says, So Sarah laughed to herself. Notice she's laughing, kind of like what we say, laughing inside. She laughed to herself saying, After I am worn out, we won't go there. And my Lord is old, not touching it. Shall I have pleasure? Better believe I'm not touching that. I'm worn out. My Lord is old. Shall I have pleasure? The Lord didn't see anything funny about it whatsoever. In verse 13 and 14, it says, The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Why did she say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm Is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. A, a son. Verse 15. But Sarah denied it. She said, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Why was she afraid? Because when she laughed to herself, all alone on this side of the tent, how did one of them know that she laughed? Unless he's omniscient unless he's God. And I think that's why she was afraid. She realized, how can this person know I laughed when I laughed within myself? She was afraid. And so it says, he said, no, but you did laugh. Now this is the laugh of what we call a laugh of wariness or what we would say is non-trusting. And we think God's got Sarah right where he wants her because God must humble us in order to show his glory and omnipotence and that nothing is too hard for the Lord. Is a child from a dead womb too marvelous for the one who simply spoke words and brought the universe into an existence? It's no laughing matter. He can do it. Nothing is incredible or impossible with those in covenant fellowship with God Almighty because nothing's too difficult for him. This caution was soon, even within weeks, and I want you to catch this, because there's probably a lot of you 
who have gone through some things and you've been waiting on God, waiting on God, some things are impossible, the answer to prayer hadn't come, and you wonder, well, how long am I going to... It wasn't very long after that. Sarah had great faith. She moved very quickly from her wariness to being a strong woman of faith so that we even recognize her as the mother of faith. How do I know this? I go to the New Testament again where it's confirmed. Listen to Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Let those words just sink in for a minute. By faith, this 90-year-old woman received the power herself to conceive. Even when she was past the age since, how did it happen? She considered him faithful who had promised. Now let me move quickly here to just uh, three principles for you. Number one, faith appropriates power from God. That's the first thing. Faith appropriates power from God. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive. God gave Sarah power to conceive a child in her old age, and the Bible places special emphasis on the fact that this miracle took place in and through Sarah. It was a miracle, but it was through her faith. God had promised a child to Sarah, but let me now caution just a word here. He hasn't promised every woman and every wife that she's going to have a child. Sarah claimed the promise because God gave her that promise. Have you ever gone through periods of time with someone you love who is suffering under infertility? It's a horrible experience for a woman who wants to have a baby but she can't conceive. The worst, the cruelest thing you can do is go to her, say, you know, young lady, you know what your problem is? You don't have the faith of Sarah. Notice it says Sarah conceived by faith, and that's true. But the difference is God gave Sarah the promise and may not have given her the promise. Do you get it? People get sick, very sick. God may assure in your heart that he's going to heal that person. I don't know. But God doesn't heal everybody. I feel free to pray for the healing of anyone I love who's sick. But with that, I don't necessarily say, I just know. No, you can't do that. Unless God, you know, has given you that promise. Now, listen, there's lots of universal promises in the Bible. Lots of universal promises. And as you pour over them, there will be times as you're walking with God, He will assure you that verse is just written as though it was written for you alone. And when that happens, you write that down on a journal. You date it, December 5th, 2021. God confirmed in my heart. And then you lay hold of that and you don't let go of it. I've been praying for some things for years, for 50 years, every day. And I realize it may not even happen in my lifetime. But I'm laying hold of the promise as long as I have breath to believe. And I'm waiting on God. And some of you are in that same situation. So faith appropriates power from God. Faith anticipates the promise of God. And then Thomas Manton it was who said, wherever we put forth faith, we must have a promise. Be careful, friend. You can get mighty disillusioned if you just start claiming everything. You know, name it and claim it. That's ridiculous and stupidity. Wherever we put forth faith, we must have a promise. Otherwise, it is but fancy, not faith. 
Faith is not trusting God to fulfill your dreams. I could care less what your dreams are, to be very frank with you. God doesn't promise to bless my vision. My vision can be so messed up, it's a good thing it doesn't come about. The only thing that matters in life, please nail this down, is the will of God. Therefore, I want to be like Jesus, and I want to see where God is working, and then I want to move with him. I don't want to tell him what my plans are or my dreams or my visions. I want to know he's already decided what his plan is for my life. Lord, help me by faith to appropriate it and then to take your promises and to move ahead. Young Christian university student, one sudden in the presence of a few other people at church, he said, you know, I sure wish that God would speak to me. And there was an elderly godly woman she says well son let me give you some advice read your bible faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of god he said no no no." he says i mean i mean i wish god would speak audibly to me she says son go in your room this time read your bible out loud he'll he'll talk to you okay so there's the answer third faith advances the purpose of god therefore from one man hebrews 11 12 Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, many as the nubile grains of sand by the seashore. Just think of what it came about as a result. Now, that was Sarah's faith. Did you know Sarah is only one of two women mentioned in the Hebrew 11 Hall of Faith chapter? She's one of two. And she's recognized by us as a mother of faith. She received power to conceive. That faith led what? To the birth of Isaac? That led what? To the birth of Jacob? I always sometimes feel sorry for Isaac. He was kind of a a dutiful, obedient nobody. He was the son of a great father, and he was the father of a great son. But he kind of was just hanging out. Um, But he was so faithful and so obedient and so dutiful, so worshipful. So from Isaac comes Jacob. From Jacob come 12 sons. One of them is Judah. And who is our Lord Jesus Christ? Revelation. The lion. Where? out of the tribe of Judah. And so Jesus is born. And Rob will cover that on Christmas Eve. But it all goes back to the line through David and Abraham and Judah and Jacob. And here's blessed Isaac. And then back to Abraham and Sarah. And finally the birth of Jesus has come. And then all the many of the redeemed people from every tribe and nation will gather together. Faith advances the purpose of God. He moves his sovereign purpose forward by means of people who receive from his hand because they believe God. And that's what God calls us to do. We're not only justified by faith, but Paul says, the just shall live by faith. From faith to faith, ever growing. That's what God wants us to do. Now, let's close it out with the best laugh, the laugh of worship. I'll take just a few minutes here. I'm going to move quickly. So I'm going to read some scripture. Now we're in Genesis 21. We've advanced 25 years from the Abrahamic covenant. We've seen Eleazar, didn't work. Seen Hagar, didn't work. God gives the promise to Abraham. He laughs with wonder. Gives the promise to Sarah. Uh, She laughs in weariness. But now we're coming to the third laugh. The Lord visited Sarah. Now catch it. As he had said, there's the promise. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. 
Verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son, whom Sarah bore to him Isaac, circumcised eight days old, as God had commanded. Abraham was a hundred years old when he was uh, Isaac born. Verse 6, Sarah said, God has made me, there it is, God has made me laughter, made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. She said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. We are finally at the moment. Days turn to weeks, weeks turn to months, months turn to years, years turn to 25 of them. And now here is the birth of Isaac. And this old 90-year-old woman, wrinkled, gray-headed, beyond childbearing age, is holding the baby at her breast, feeding him, all because of faith. And when she picks Isaac up and she sings him a lullaby, I think every time she called his name Isaac, you know what Isaac means? He laughs. He laughs or just laughter. They're not all sure of what it means. But it has laughter as the core. And I'm thinking as she's holding that Isaac to her breast, she starts laughing. Laughing at the wonder and worship of God. She's laughing. I would say, what's his name? His name is Laughter. And they start laughing. James will tell us about God always has the last laugh when we come to communion. When he was a two-year-old boy, a four-year-old boy, a six-year-old boy, come here, Isaac. And she'd remember. And she'd start laughing again. His name means laugh. It's the laugh of worship. She's laughing. The heartache has been healed. The mourning is now mirth. Sadness has turned to seeking. Gloom has turned to gladness. Pain has turned to pleasure. Aim that boy, Isaac. It means he laughs. That's his name. And she says it every day, hundreds of times a day, all through the years, who whispers that she sings it. And it might be God is laughing too over this whole thing. This whole thing, I'm not talking about Genesis 12 to Genesis 21. I'm talking about this whole thing going all the way back and looking up and then seeing in him shall all families of the earth be blessed, seeing his son born. And his son who would suffer on the cross. And as a result of that suffering, he looks down the quarters of time. And then all of us sees this great big, this chorus singing worthy as the lamb. And he sees people from every tongue of nation. Why? Because Sarah believed and had that son of promise. And then 2,000 years later, Jesus was born. And because Jesus was born, he could die. And because he could die, he was resurrected. And he'll build a church. And now all the redeemed of the ages someday are going to be gathered together. How do I know this is true? How do I know I'm not stretching the text here? Let let me just close with three verses from Galatians. Now we're going 2,000 years in round terms. 2,000 years from the birth. Galatians 3, 6. Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. That's the second time it was accounted to him for righteousness, it appears. Romans 4, we saw. Now Galatians 3. Verse 8, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. He preached the gospel. How did God preach the gospel to Abraham? In you shall all the nations 
be blessed. There was the preaching of the gospel, the birth of Christ. Verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring. That's how I know he's talking about Jesus. Because Paul reiterates it and confirms it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 3. Not to your offsprings, but to your offspring who is Christ. Let me close with just five thoughts for you. Number one, God's no hurry to work out his plans. God is in no hurry to work out his plans. He's not on your timetable. He's never too late. He's always on time, but he often delays. Man frets, worries, always in a hurry to work out his plans. Your plans and God's timetable don't always mesh. God does not live by our appointment book. Number two, God is El Shaddai. The Lord God Almighty, nothing can hinder him. Nothing can thwart his purposes. Abraham was old. Sarah was past childbearing. But these obstacles were absolutely nothing to God. And I want to tell you something. For whatever you're trusting God for in that impossible situation, nothing is too hard from God. And those obstacles that prohibit you do not prohibit God. Just keep praying. Keep laying hold of the promise. Keep, keep a hold of the hem of the garment. Number three, God is faithful. He promised Sarah a son from the standpoint of human reasoning. Seemed like a foolish promise, but the promise was sure. God's always faithful. Number four, faith is tested. So it might be proven to be genuine. A faith that cannot endure the test, the trials, the waiting, the heartache, the pain, the grief, and everything else goes with it isn't a true faith that God is building upon. So just remember that. Because remember what God asked Abraham to do after about 13, 15 years later after he's born? He's now take your son, going up on top of Mount Moriah, and put him on the altar and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham was faithful. Took him up. Isaac walked with him. He didn't have to. He was a teenager. He went up and he lay, he lay himself on that altar. Abraham took that knife back through that greatest test of his life that he ever had, ever would have. And just about the time he's ready to offer Isaac, God says, stop it. Stop it. Hold on, Abraham. Now I know you believe. By the way, there's a ram over in the thicket. He'll take the place. God, faith, it will test our faith. And God has, number five, a set time for everything. Everything, there's a season, a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Remember that song? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He does what others cannot do. Let's bow in prayer. And as we come to the Lord's table, I'm going to ask if you're here today and you have never trusted God for that impossibility of being right before him. What's impossible for you is possible. God trusts Christ as Savior. Put your faith so that you can say with Abraham, you believe God and it was imputed to you the righteousness of God. And as a Christian, lay hold of that promise. Don't let it go. Don't let it go. Lay hold of that promise. Write it down. Pray every day. Believe God. God will come through if he's given you that promise. Lord, thank you now for this time to look back to Calvary. In our Savior's name, amen.